verse 26. We're going to read there um, uh, about uh, three quarters of the way down, verse 36. So Matthew 26, verse 36. We're going to read um, from the Word of God there. Uh, but I, I wanted to uh, uh, talk about something that I think is fairly obvious. But um, and many of you probably don't even remember this. Uh, some of the older folks here will remember this. But, you know, people, uh, we lose track of things sometimes. We lose track of what really is and what really isn't. Um, you know, we lose track of, of, of the truth. Uh, we know things, but we lose track of, of sort of, uh, you know, why things happen and how they happen. And we kind of, we kind of just, we don't, we don't always pay attention um, to, uh, to, to the important things in life. And I, I thought of this illustration, which is a perfect one, I think, um, for, for the message I'm trying to preach tonight. And that is, there, you know, um, soda companies, they have formulas for their sodas. Right? And these formulas are top secret. You know? They're they don't let any it's like Willy Wonka, right? It's a candy, right? You know? And no one knows the, the formula for Willy Wonka and his candy, right? And one of the things that uh, uh, is really, really secretive in this industry, uh, for instance, the brand Coca-Cola, right? Everyone knows Coca-Cola is the greatest cola out there. Amen. Coca-Cola. And, and uh, everyone knows Coca-Cola. And, you know, it's, it's, it's said that only three men, three men know the recipe for Coca-Cola. There's only three. And they're not allowed, they're not allowed ever to be on the same plane. Imagine that. The three men... They know the recipe to Coca-Cola, and they are not allowed on the same plane, right? Now, I want you to take that knowledge. I'll, I'll, put it, I'll go even further. I'll go further. This is true. These are all true facts. They, they actually went to Congress, okay, to protect their formula. They actually went to Congress and said, we want you to pass a law that will protect our formula forever. Beyond just a copyright. But you know, something that I remember, because I'm a kid of the 80s, is that they at one point decided to change Coca-Cola. And they came out with something of a black service thing called New Coke. They came out with a thing, and I mean, they had, and I don't know who it was. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend to, I didn't look it all up, I didn't have time today to go to go deep dive into this. But they actually had celebrities, you know what I mean? They, I think maybe Michael Jackson, they had some big, 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 big people, you know, to, to get this new coke, you know? off the ground. You know what I mean? Like, imagine kids today, if they were going to come out with, with new coke, you know, they would have, like, you know, Shawn Mendes, right? And, and and Taylor Swift, right? And they would have them up there, you know, and, and uh, you know, they would have them standing there uh, with, with Kanye, you know, and they would all, you know, and Kim Kardashian, and they would have them all 
fresh sip of the cold, the new Coke, and they were, oh, you know, this is amazing, right? New Coke. And they would be so excited, everyone would be excited, right? Everyone would be excited. We were excited when the new Coke came. I got to admit, I thought, well, maybe, who knows? You know, maybe, maybe this is going to be good. Good, right? I, I gave it a shot. And I want to tell you something. It wasn't well received. It didn't go over well. And almost immediately, I mean, like the fastest ever, Coke went, we're shutting it down. Shut it down! You know, the, the, the things were moving. You know, they were making the new Coke, and then some guy walked into the warehouse. Shut it down! We got to get rid of the new Coke. Put the old stuff in. Right? That's how it happened. You're going you're gonna to figure out why I'm so animated tonight, because I, I'm, I, I believe in what I'm preaching tonight. And the truth is, I started to think about it. I wanted to create an illustration for you tonight of why we don't do something that's so, so important and, and, and why we don't stick to certain things that are so, so important, so, so foundational. Because everyone knows, I mean, you think it's common sense. Why is Coke so popular? It's popular because of the way it tastes. Right? We all know this. We like Coca-Cola. And that's why it's, but see, they had so many different Cokes, right? There was Pepsi, there was RC Cola, there was this one and that one and this one and that one. They, they fell in love with themselves. They forgot that it was because, you know, they thought we're the king of all Colas. And they started to think to themselves, you know, it must be because of our marketing. It must be because of our awesome distribution model. This is why we're the king of all cokes. And they, they neglected the fact that the simple truth was, it was the way it tasted. People liked coke because of the way it tasted. See, they didn't think it mattered what the actual contents of the coke was. Or, let's put it even more succinctly, they didn't really think about what they were really founded on. They didn't think that was important, what the foundation was. The foundation of what they had. They thought it could be maintained just by marketing and distribution models. And if that's true about sugared water, then think about how more important it is for us, the foundations we're built on, and Jesus Christ. What I want to preach on tonight is meaning for prayer. Matthew 26, verse 36. Let's listen to the word of God. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay 
here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, I can write an obituary tonight about prayer meetings. I could write an obituary about the importance of contending for prayer meetings in our local churches. See, prayer meetings are fairly unique. They're not the norm in the Christian world. You'd be hard-pressed to find significant prayer meetings in the church world. I changed our calendars and wrote prayer time every Sunday and Wednesday because I didn't want it to just look like you know, it was just sort of thrown in there somewhere so that you could just go, oh yeah, I know churches. See, I know people ignore those days. Wednesday and Sunday, they ignore those. They know those already. They got those memorized. So I thought, I'll put it somewhere else. And I don't know, maybe I'll just one of these times, I'll just put it right over the whole thing, you know? It'll be the background. Prayer. And then under, you'll, you'll have to scramble just to find what events are going on. You all will see is the prayer meeting time. Because, I gotta be honest with you, prayer meetings are part of the pattern of this fellowship. They're part of our foundation. It's a distinctive we go to Bible conferences, the first thing that you're guaranteed is that they are going to yell at people who aren't praying. That's, right? Right, brother? What's going to happen? It's going to happen every Tuesday morning, right? But if, we might get to Wednesday, right, brother? And then, but then, but by Wednesday night, we're dead meat. <laughs> we're going to have an announcement. Stop talking and start praying. And if you're not going to start praying, get out of our way. Right? That's the message. Because, see, it's hard to do because the flesh is weak. And it's a distinctive to us because this scripture, you can ignore that, can't you? You can ignore the part that Jesus brought them there and then rebuke them by saying, watch and pray. You know? You can focus on, on, on Jesus. You can focus on the, the, his death at the cross. You can focus on his struggle, his humanity. And not focus on the fact that Jesus is telling you, you better pray. Right? When he defends Peter, he says, I pray for you, Peter. That the devil won't sift you. Right? See, because the place we actually pray 
is not simply a quiet time with God. Meditation is important. I meditate on the Lord daily. I do a private Bible study. I daily do devotionals. But when we gather together with passion and pretend, present our petitions to the Lord and present everything to God and say, come into the presence of God. God, I need you to intercede for us. There's something powerful about that. I found some examples that would help us. Hannah in the Bible is the, the, the probably the, one of the most powerful prayer warriors in the Bible. It was a prayer meeting that Hannah touched the thrones of God and God touched the barren Hannah and gave her a child that would bring to us You know, he would anoint David, the king, who would bring through his loins Jesus Christ. You know, the temples and the tabernacles, the holy places of God, where he dwelled, they were dedicated, you know, by and for prayer meetings. That's what they were there for. My daughter, Anna, is named after a woman who went to the temple every day as a widow since she was a young girl, lost her husband, lived in the temple, prayed until she was an old lady, and then Jesus came and she was the first to proclaim him, the first woman to proclaim the Son of God. Prayer. Jesus, what did he say when he got mad? When he got the maddest in the whole Bible? When he was greatly upset, he was indignant. When did he get indignant? Why did he get indignant? Why? Because he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But it looked like a dead of thieves. When Israel defeats Amalek, it's because of prayer. The early church, we are here today because it was guided by corporate prayer. When it was time to replace the apostle ship of Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. They received the direction from prayer. Pentecost. Baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon those who tarry in prayer. I can tell you something, and I'm not saying this uh, lightly, but you will be exposed by your prayer life. It's hard to, to speak in tongues in faith. In a language you do not understand, unless you have a strong prayer life, what will happen is that's the first thing that will go. When Peter was in prison, God's people were gathered in corporate prayer. 
historically, times of great revival, all the awakenings that we were preceded by those who were moved by corporate prayer. It was not just about powerful preachers and powerful ministries, but about powerful prayer meetings. See, because prayer does something, especially when I'm talking about tonight, which is corporately praying. It does something. See, because you gather together for a common cause. See, people who are moved by the condition of their age, for instance, by the masses of lost and indifferent souls, by the rampant sin, by the godlessness of our age, you come and you pray when you're moved by those things. Because you know, most likely, you can't do it on your own. None of us can. See, there's an inadequacy that precedes revival. See, what happens is God's people begin to react to the wickedness and the corruption of the world. They begin to become unable to cope with the civilization moving in the direction of chaos. And in their helplessness, they begin to cry out to God for help. Prayer eventually becomes something that's insistent. It becomes something that can be irresistible to you. Unless, unless you're being unfaithful. I want to read something from a guy named, uh, I believe his name is uh, James Burns. He describes the great evangelical awakening in England, which is really birthed the Pentecostal movement. And it says, slowly the national conscience, so long dormant, began to wake up. Men began to sicken at the prevailing ungodliness. A sense of nausea and unrest began to show itself along with a craving for better things. In the night of sin, amid its passions and debaucheries, men had forgotten God. But when the night was past and the raw morning began to break, they awoke to a sense of their misery, to a shame of their evil courses, to a shuddering consciousness of how far they had been led astray, and to a bitter self-loathing and disgust. Yet more was still needed to bring fresh hope and joy to an age worn out with sin. A revival was needed. Men longed for a breath of God to blow upon the land, to sweep away its miasmas and heavy poisoned atmosphere and bring back to it the joyous sunshine of God's presence and the gladness and freshness of a living faith. Once more, human nature was declaring that the way of transgressors is hard, that sin has no final empire over the human heart, that for the soul of a man there is no rest except in God. 
Gradually, the longing for better things grew in the hearts of the best men and women of the age, and the cry once more went up to God, full of passionate entreaty, the cry for forgiveness, for renewal, for a fresh awakening to the blessedness of the spiritual life. The cry was heard. The hour and the man were come into the life of England of that century to dominate it and inspire it. There enters the prim, alert figure of John Wesley, Anglican, Methodist, revivalist, and man of God. You know, we need another John Wesley. And we need prayerful parishioners that can help produce powerful preaching. I read this quote, it said, if the preaching of the gospel is to exercise great power over mankind, it must be either by enlisting extraordinary men or by endowing or by the endowing of ordinary men with extraordinary power. The seed of the greatest harvest that we've ever seen are in prayer meetings. But tonight I want to tell you something. There's a constant conspiracy against prayer. The text that I read tonight is about failed prayer. It's about failed prayer meetings. That's what it's about. The disciples are called to pray with Jesus, but they do not pray. And it illustrates an element of the human heart, doesn't it? We are like the antithesis sometimes to prayer meetings. I would call it a conspiracy among men not to pray. See, it made it a lot easier for Peter, didn't it, not to pray because James and John weren't praying. Right? He had a couple of guys with him not praying. It made it easier for James to pray because Peter and John were praying. None of them spoke and declared aloud. But they did understand that if I don't, or if other people don't, then I don't have to. How many people, you know, we fellowship before service, especially on Sunday. But no one's decided it's time to pray. Why is it so easy to neglect? Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. It's a tendency of the human heart. And that's why tonight, don't be down on yourself. Realize that it's something you must strive for, you must contend for. You must say, God, build powerful prayer in me. God knows the prayers that you need to pray. And he's trying to build them in you. This is why you got saved in this fellowship. I will tell you there's plenty of fellowships that don't do that. But this fellowship, you know, that's why you have, you know, the annoying pastor or the annoying brother who's like, okay, now it's time to pray. See, there's power in the prayer meeting. 
We must remember this. We must remember this. The truth is that for us, what is the prescription for a healthy prayer life? What is it? Are you ready? I said it about five times already. It's prayer you. It is. You can't do it on your own. What you have to do is you have to make an appointment. You have to create a routine, a pattern. My kids are starting to get used to that pattern. You know? They want to ruin the pattern too. They want to be like, no, you know, let's do something else. Let's not pray. And we have to have these appointments, these routines that we continue to build, that we continue to, to press upon. You gotta commit to being in a certain place at a certain time. That's a priority in your life. When you put something on a calendar, you gotta keep the schedule. My wife would say, you know, why don't you just cancel that? No one came. And say, no, it's because it's on the calendar. On the calendar. I know no one's going to come, but I'm still going to do it. Because it's on the calendar. Because you have to establish that. I read this story, you know, the people who are great prayers, they're disciplined. Jesus, he was a prayer warrior. Daniel prayed three times a day. I read this about a guy named Michael Faraday. Before the Lords of England, he was presenting a discourse on magnetism. It was greatly received. When the applause subsided, they sought him to congratulate him. But he had slipped out. See, he times his presentation so that he can make the prayer meeting at his church. He had timed it that way. I don't think many of us are presenting discourses on magnetism anytime soon. Think about that. You know, if prayer is something that you do when you can find time, you won't find the time. You know, when you say to yourself, I'm going to make myself self-accountable. Declaring that you are a prayer warrior. That I am going to choose this with my will. You know, I want to just give you some insight from my, from my own personal perspective. You know, my behavior, when I've had changed behavior, it's because I observed that behavior in someone else. So not only will you help yourself, but you will start helping others. You'll just help them automatically because you'll change your behavior, it will change other people's behavior. Because they will be able to observe your behavior. Oh, that person prays. It was an African village. The Christian built it in such a way that in the center they would assemble to pray. If one of the brothers began to neglect prayer, 
the grass would begin to gray, uh, grow over the path from his hut to the place of prayer. Listen to this. I got so excited. Listen to this. The grass would begin to grow. So, from the hut to the place of prayer, when this, when, when seeking to encourage the brother to pray, they would speak to him that the grass on his path was beginning to grow. So they wouldn't say like, "Hey, you missed prayer meeting." They would just say, "Hey, the grass on your path is beginning to grow." See, something that he could observe. Look at, they're walking back and forth to prayer. You're not. This is what happens in our lives. Things start to sprout up. You know, this is why, you know, this is why these things sprout up. They're like the grass on that. Right? See, there's an association to praying together. See, it helps us become strong and bonded to each other. It begins a strong bond in the congregation. You know how many men I've seen struggle. I've seen it, and what happens is they lose the prayer line first. And then they begin to struggle, or they never develop the prayer life in the first place. They never observe it and begin to say, I want to change and be like that. People have said to me, you know, how are you, you know, I've had people accuse me, oh, you're, a, you're, oh, look at you, you kiss butt. That's why you got where you got, Wes. You're a butt kisser. Well, Brandon knows I'm not a butt kisser. He was my boss. I'm not a butt kisser. But what happened in this church was every single pastor I knew, they had something established, prayer meetings. They went to those prayer meetings. I went to those prayer meetings. I wasn't Mr. Ministry Guy. I wasn't Mr. Successful. You should have seen how long it took me to figure out how to do anything in this church. It was ridiculous how bad I was. And most of the men here know the deep truth, the deep dark truth. But the thing was, I established bonds of connection because we were praying together. You know? I swear, some of the pastors were like, I want to hate this guy, but I can't. He's always there praying with me. Right? See? Somebody, someone in the church hates you. You know, if you're sitting down there and you're praying, they'll be like, I guess I should just pray for him. Right? I mean, I'm joking, but the truth is, isn't there some truth to that? If you're the person that's there kneeling down and praying, you're going to be with the rest of the people who are praying in the end. And to be honest with you, if I have one goal, that's my goal. To be with the saints in heaven praying for eternity, speaking to God. Even the Bible talks about this. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come off of your gift. 
You know, it's, it's hard to really pray and touch God when there are issues of your heart and your attitude. God isn't really able to deal with us at such a time. And so he's telling us, he'll tell you, he'll inform you, he'll say, go get this figured out and then come back here and pray to me. That's what that scripture says. I've been there. But I'll tell you, you know, it also helps the other way because it shows you, it, it makes things recognizable to you. I've come in and prayed and I've realized there's something wrong. I begin to probe my heart and I go, no, i got to make a phone call. Then I can pray. i gotta, I got to reach out to somebody. And then I'll be able to pray the way I need to pray. Because what I'm doing when I'm praying and what you'll be doing when you pray is you'll be establishing the authority of God. And when you establish the authority of God, and then you corporately pray, and you establish the authority of God in the church, all of a sudden, what will happen to you is there will be an element that is at work in your life, and it will be much easier to pray together. You'll begin to realize, I can pray together a lot better than I can alone. See, Jesus wasn't seeking company because he was lonely. He was seeking company because there was a need. There was a dynamic that Jesus, the Son of Man, needed by way of corporate prayer. Truth is, those who do not pray corporately usually really don't pray privately either. And I hate to say it that way, but the truth is I've seen it time and time again in my own mind and in the lives of other men. How many people have we seen, they stop coming to prayer meetings, then they stop coming to church, then you see them two years down the road, they don't believe in God no more. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. Moses is on the mountain, right? There's a battle taking place, his arms grow weary, and it takes the presence and the assistance of the others to push him through. Those other men are there to pray with them. He says there's two men there. They probably start crying, you know, God, don't make my arms tired like his. He's the only way we're going to win. You remember that story when he puts his arms down, they lose the battle. When he puts them up, they win. But it's hard to do it on your own. Eventually, they begin to fall. And you need to be praying with others. If that doesn't convince you to just pray corporately, then I don't know what would. This is Moses. Yeah. It's a perfect illustration of a prayer life, what we need. Prayer meeting is a time for prayer. It's not a pre-service visitation. It's not a time to practice. It's not a time to just play or dabble. It's a time to pray. Prayer meetings are essential. And they are foundational. And they are a privilege. It is a privilege to pray and meet. It's a basic truth in the priesthood of all believers. You know, the Bible calls us priests. Priests pray. That's what their job was. They had one job. The high priest came in and prayed. That's 
all he did. Threw a bunch of other guys that had other jobs. Right? His whole clan was full of men who had jobs. Different jobs. One guy had to clean the toilets. One guy had to do this. One guy had to do that. One guy had to break the wood. One guy had to cut this. One guy had to do that. Then there were the men who were there to pray. That was their job. We're all priests now. We're all called to pray together, corporately. See, we have access, acceptance by God. I want to tell you something. You have access and acceptance by God. You can touch God. You can meet with God. So you just need to understand your privilege and your role and your responsibility to pray. Begin to understand that and God will begin to move for us. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. Establish God's presence tonight. Hope this message helps us.